Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Hey, welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in with you this evening for another two hours. And, you know, phone lines are open now. 314-436-7900. Call or text. I've already gotten, oh, sheesh, I've gotten a whole a whole list of text messages this evening. So always love to hear feedback. You know, that's the idea, at least from my perspective, of At Your Service. You can listen to a podcast, you can read a book, you can watch a TV show, but there's no interaction. It's basically you consuming the media that's giving, being given to you by someone else. But that's the beauty of At Your Service. There is a method for feedback. You can either text or call, or you can even send me an email for that matter. I check my emails on my phone as the show unfolds as well. Be young, B-Y-O-U-N-G at HarrisDowell.com, H-A-R-R-I-S as in Sam, D as in David, O-W-E-L-L.com. That's the name of my law firm, Harris, Dowell, Fisher, and Young. And uh, I love to hear from you. And this hour, and normally I don't start out talking about weighty topics in the first segment because the first segment is the shortest of the segments that we have here on, on At Your Service. But, you know, this is a big topic. It's the topic of the day worldwide, Afghanistan. And if you've watched any of the video like I did today, and I know that you have, uh, I, it's, I'm struggling for the words to describe the horrific nature of what we saw today, of the planes taking off from Kabul airport, of the thousands of citizens who had been helping the United States, whether as translators or working in the embassies or uh, assisting as navigators around Afghanistan. They had an expectation that the U.S. was there to help them, and they were just abandoned. The, U, the, the military, at the direction of the Biden administration, put up barbed wire, and yet hundreds just mobbed that C-17 transport aircraft when it was taking off. And you've seen the video of people who are clinging to the outside of the airplane, like in that last Tom Cruise movie, except this wasn't a movie. This was real life. People were saying, I would risk my life to flee this country because I know what the Taliban is going to do. And there were even people who were holding on to that C-17 and fell off after the airplane took off, and the airplane was already hundreds and hundreds of feet in the air. It's truly, truly horrific. In this hour, 
we're going to talk about some of those policy decisions that went into what President Biden ordered uh, several months ago. Telegraphed, if I could use such an antiquated term, saying to the Taliban, we will be pulling out on this day. In other words, waving the flag and saying, we surrender. Now's the time to come in and to take over what literally has been bought with blood and treasure. Hundreds of billions of dollars, untold number of American lives have been taken. People were maimed and injured, lost limbs, lost their lives. And we had to pull out. And, and, you know, the comparison was made to the fall of Saigon. That happened in April of 1975. I was, I was only 10 years old when Saigon fell. I didn't have any understanding of how that fit in with the history of the United States or in the, in the context of the Vietnam War. You know, when you're 10, I'm watching Scooby-Doo and eating Oreos. I mean, what did I know? But now in the historical context, we're living through the same type of event where we're leaving in disgrace, we're letting down the allies that we were there to protect, and we are letting down, most importantly, the men and women who gave their lives and their sacred honor to try to advance the, the national security objectives of the United States of America to no avail. And to me, it is horrific the situation that we're seeing right now playing out right in front of us. It's occurring even as we speak. You know, I always I always say, if you want to know where the most dangerous place on the planet is, just go to Richard Engel's Twitter page and see where he is. Uh, he, he, he always goes to the most dangerous place on the planet. And I was following Richard Engel today, and, and of course he was right in the thick of it. He was fleeing. He has a safe house in Kabul because he's there so often. He has his own safe house, and he was trying to flee that safe house today before the entire city just collapsed around him. And to see the, the, the pain and the fear, the abject terror on the faces of Afghani citizens, of American citizens who were fleeing for their lives, going from the embassy to the airport to try to get out of the city before the city collapsed. It's one of the most dramatic situations that I've witnessed in my lifetime. And I know that it's probably the same for you as well. So that's why I wanted to open the phone lines if you want to share how you are feeling when you were watching this unfold over the weekend. Because, you know, last Friday when I, I always put the shows together a couple of days beforehand, and I started putting this show together on Friday, and, you know, we had no idea that this was going to be the event of the year occurring because, you know, we just talk about COVID all the time. And so on Friday, I put together some interviews, talked about critical race theory, wanted to talk to the mayor of St. Charles, didn't know that this would be the issue. And yet, here it is. It's the number one issue on the planet. So what do you think about what's going on right now? And I've got other news stories to go through, but I would like to hear your perspective. 314-436-7900. Call or text. We are at your service. Brad Young here on Camo X. 
Don't go away. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Hey, we had a, a few more callers on the line, and then we had what's called technical difficulties. So if you were holding and got cut off, feel free to give us a call. 314-436-7900. One guy I just love talking to, Big Al. Good evening, my friend. God bless, boss. Hey, it's great to hear from you. What's on your mind, buddy? My girlfriend cut me off six months ago. I just found out yesterday. <laughs> but I'm bumped. You're going to be at the Funny Bone oh. all week, right? Uh, how about... Uh, Afghan Army rifles only drop once for sale. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I'm no Biden fan, as you well know. But you know what? I watched him today. And um, when you don't want to defend your own country, and I know there was a lot underneath that. I mean, there were there were they didn't have food, they didn't, they didn't have bullets, and the, the 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 you know embezzlement and the stealing was so rampant, you know, but. To just just give up. I mean, I don't want another American in there getting hurt. And we should have learned from the Soviets. We should have got in, got out. And why in the heck we plowed in there and stayed in there? You'll never change that part of the world. You're right. And it makes me sad to see people trying to hang on to the C-17 that I worked on proudly at Boeing, <sighs> trying to get out of there. And I mean to Horrific. tell you. Um, we've got Afghans coming to St. Louis. I just heard it. Good. And I encourage people to help and find out where they're coming to and help them. Yes. Because these are people that gave, risked their lives to help us. And if you ever seen that show, United States of Al, on CBS, and it's the Afghan interpreter with the guy that came back from the military, you'll really get a mm -hmm. feel for what, what's going on and what happened. And these people are trapped with papers to get out and they can't because if they get caught with them, they're they'll dead. Be executed. Yeah. They'll be and beheaded. I know. And it's so sad, but you know, you just can't change that part of the world. It'll never change. I mean, look how many, that's exactly where countries come to die. And we're abandoning military hardware, just leaving it because it's cheaper and not destroying it. And the intelligence that we've been provided, all the all the all the presidents, not just Biden, we are not we don't listen. We we are just ignorant to what's going on and what's happening. And it's sad. I, I pray for the Afghan people, but I don't want another American hurt. And uh, China and and Soviet Union, go ahead, go back in there. You know what? It's your turn. Whatever. Soviets already learned. But it's just sad that what's happening 
to this world today at a 59 year old man. I'm feel bad for my kids and my grandkids. And I'm talking in, from what's going on in this country to around the world. And I just want to say, pray for the nation and help these people in St. Louis because they've risked everything to help us. And we've turned our backs on them and got out and we can't be trusted according to the world, but nobody else wants to go in there and help them do that. Hey, you're exactly right, Big Al. Hey, thanks for calling in this evening. Appreciate your comments. Love you, boss. Thanks, buddy. Keep listening. Hey, another good friend of mine. Hey, Barbara, thanks for calling in this evening. Yes, um, I have the opposite opinion. Um, basically, um, I think we shouldn't, uh, us and our allies need to take a stand over in the Middle East. Um, uh, the state of Israel will be in trouble over there. And uh, Iran and Syria are owned by the Russians. Now, they wanted to own Iraq, but Saddam Hussein said no. And he was hung for that. But I will tell you that we have to take a stand in the Middle East. Otherwise, the Russians and the Chinese will own the Middle East. Probably the Russians. So we have to take a stand because Israel is there. And basically, we have to defend the state of Israel. The United States has to defend the state of Israel. And also the Saudis are there, and we have to defend the Saudis and the Egyptians. So we have to take a stand in the Middle East. Well, we, we do. And, you know, Barbara, to your point, China, in fact, this story, I saw this reported in several different uh, by several different sources today, Barbara, that China is going to be the first country to recognize the Taliban. And they're already preparing to send in, uh, interestingly enough, uh, troops if necessary, money, supplies to help them. And so really what we're going to see in a very short time basis, I think, is that you're going to see Afghanistan uh, become, to some extent, uh, a proxy of China because China is going to fill the void left by the United States. Yeah, well, that's not good either because no, the way I mean that's awful. Conqueror, every conqueror that conquers the Middle East goes through Afghanistan. So we got to take a stand. Uh, we're going to have to take a stand in Iraq. Iraq didn't want to go. Their leader Saddam Hussein did not want. They, the Russians asked him to come and give over Iraq when we were after him in the first Gulf War. He wouldn't give over Iraq. He said, I will not give it to the Russians. So anyhow, he, his people hung him. They hung him, and he said, I'm a patriot of Iraq. I wouldn't give it to the Americans, and I wouldn't give it to the Russians. So we have to take a stand. Probably we have to take a stand in Iraq. And basically, um, it, it ends up that... Um, what happened, Pakistan is kind of close to the Russians, too, because the Taliban are going in and out of Pakistan. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. So, I mean, we got to take a stand over there. And got the it. Saudi king, we need to go to him and ask him to take a stand with us and against the, these terrorists and, we, and the Egyptian president, too, and anyone who has any sense over there to take a stand with us. Because they're not going to, you know, China does not believe in religion. They nope, kill they don't. people because of religion. They do. And, uh, and we see what's going on with the Taliban. They're not tolerant of, of, of any one of other faiths either. Hey, Barbara, we're going to have to move along. But thanks for calling in this evening. Thank you. Okay, thank you.
she's exactly right in terms of uh, the the influence of the other states, the influence of the other countries right now is going to be key from a geopolitical analysis standpoint. Pakistan at this point, their largest supplier of goods, services and money is China. And of course it's on the Afghan border. And another thing is is that the the Afghanis are the, the, the Taliban rather are executing women and they're executing people who are of different faiths and they're executing anyone who assisted the Americans. You know what's interesting is is that the State Department and I, I can't remember where I saw this, but the State Department, the U.S. State Department today, encouraged, encouraged the Taliban. Now that they're taking over the country, encouraged them to hire more women in their government. That was the position of the U.S. State Department. Now, despite the Taliban's long history of oppression of women, their iron-fisted rule, they, they can't have an education, they have to be covered head to toe, they can't go out in public without a male escort, all of these things that really subjugate women as property. And the U.S. State Department just issues a statement stating, we want the Taliban to include women in their government, as if some idle memo from some mid-level staffer means anything to the Taliban government. It means nothing. And what's ludicrous is, is that someone in the U.S. State Department thought they needed to issue a memo on that particular point, which is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Now, during the last few phone calls, we did have somebody call in and disagreed because, oh, Camel X is just becoming so right-wing because I'm expressing conservative views. Let me tell you this. I love callers who disagree with me. I love them. So if you happen to share that opinion, I'm not going to put you down. I'll treat you with respect. But I would love to hear your opposing view on any of these topics that we're talking about. 314-436-7900, call or text. And after this break, I want to play you what President Biden said just a few weeks ago on this topic to show you how, at least in my opinion and in the opinion of many analysts today, he was out of touch and he and he took the wrong approach in terms of pulling U.S. forces out of Afghanistan. Brad Young at your service. Hey, don't go away. I think it was like in 1992... I started using the internet in 1988, before there was even a World Wide Web. There was no graphical user interface, it was just text. So I got a, my, my cousin was working at Boeing at McDonnell Douglas at the time, and so I found, because I love military technology, and I found this cool kind of semi-secret project that, that McDonnell Douglas was working on. I read about it online. It was something called the Joint Strike Fighter. And so I asked my cousin who worked at Boeing or McDonnell Douglas, I asked him about this in like 1992. I said, hey, there's this thing called the Joint Strike Fighter. You know anything about it? And when I asked, <laughs> and when I asked him, his eyes got about the size of silver dollars. And he said, oh, the Joint Strike Fighter, that's super secret. That's classified. Why, you can't even ask me about it. If, if you even mention Joint Strike Fighter, why, Brad, you're going to have to talk to people you don't want to talk to. And I said, 
Stuart, are you kidding me? I would love to talk to people that I don't want to talk to. I would thoroughly enjoy that. And so I tell you that story because <laughs> if you want to call in and disagree with me, that's fine. I enjoy that. And uh, it will not uh, blink an eye at doing that. 314-436-7900. Uh, you know, President Biden gave some remarks this evening, and he had to do something because he was hiding out at Camp David all weekend, and the optics on that are just, just awful, where we've been involved for 20 years, and the whole thing comes apart over a weekend, and where's the president? The president's at Camp David. It was kind of like during the Iran crisis when it started, Jimmy Carter wouldn't leave the Rose Garden, and he was criticized for that. This is exactly the same. So Biden had to get out on top of the story. So he comes he comes out and gives a speech today. And in the speech that he gave today, he mostly blamed the Afghan army's lack of will for the Taliban's swift victory. And in, and in, and in fact, as I watched his speech, he specifically said on more than one occasion that we provided the Afghans with all the support they needed, with all the support they needed, so this is all their fault. And yet, you know, the Wall Street Journal documented over the weekend that that's just not true. I mean, the one thing that, that Biden ordered the military to do was to pull its air support. And, you know, once you pull air support, the army can just move, the Afghan army, the Taliban army, rather, could just move unencumbered. They didn't have to worry from being attacked from above. And they allowed them to rapidly put troops in place across the country to, to enable this swift control to take control over the entire country. So that's just not true. I'm going to break down some more of the things that Biden said today, but I want to go back because Biden said a few things. President Biden said a few things just a few weeks ago that are amazing to go back and listen to. This isn't going back to something from years ago. This isn't playing some clip from the 1990s. This is from the end of July 2021. I'm going to play the whole clip and then I'm going to break it down for you because there's three things about this statement from President Biden that warrants further analysis. This is what he said at the end of July. Is the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. Because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world and an Air Force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. Your own intelligence community has assessed that the Afghan government will likely collapse. That is not true. Is it, can you please clarify what they have told you about whether that will happen or not? That is not true. They, so, did, not, they didn't, did not reach that conclusion. So what is the level of confidence that they have that it will not collapse? The Afghan government and leadership has to come together. They clearly have the capacity to sustain the government in place. And do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling... None whatsoever. Zero. What you had is you had entire brigades breaking through the gates of our embassy. Six, if I'm not mistaken. The Taliban is not the, South, the North Vietnamese army. They're not, they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of an 
embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It is not at all comfortable. So the question now is, where do they go from here? That, the jury is still out. But the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. So I want to break that down. That was from a press conference that he gave, that President Biden gave about two and a half to three weeks ago. Just two and a half to three weeks ago. That was the position of the president of the United States. And I want to break down each of those segments because this warrants analysis, not for blaming, not for just saying, oh, someone's an idiot. I mean, that's what the media did for four years during Trump. Instead of looking at what he said and analyzing it, everything was always just, well, Trump's an idiot, Trump's a moron, which to me, that's not analysis. That's fifth grade name calling. And I'm not going to do that, but I am going to analyze what he said. So the first thing that President Biden addressed was the inevitability and whether it was inevitable that the Afghan government would fall. Is the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. Because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world and an air force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. Well, it was inevitable. And let me tell you why it was inevitable. Not because I have any innate knowledge, but I'll tell you who does. That's Lieutenant General Daniel Bolger. He's a retired lieutenant general. He commanded the U.S.-led coalition's mission to trade the Afghan forces from 2011 to 2013. So for two years, Lieutenant General Daniel Bolger was in charge of training the Afghan forces. And what he said was, is what's happened over the last 48 hours is exactly what happened in Saigon in the 1970s. Why? Because when we decided to pull our troops out of Vietnam in April of 1975, the first thing the United States did was they stopped the air support. And when they stopped the air support, that was the only thing that prevented the at, at that time the North Vietnamese from coming in and overriding the embassy. And that's why we've saw those iconic helicopters, those Huey helicopters pulling people off of roofs in 1975. It did happen because of the lack of air support. And we did the exact same thing again. So it was inevitable. History and military tactics told us it was inevitable. And I interviewed Major General John Schlosser about uh, three, four months ago, and he said almost the exact same thing, that when you telegraph, when you articulate, we're going to pull everyone out on this date, and there's not going to be any remaining troops to support the Afghan forces. When you make that statement, the enemy just starts planning, and as soon as you're ready to go, they come in and take over. And so literally every legitimate analyst predicted this was going to happen, and that's exactly what happened. Let's look at the second quote now about whether the government was likely to collapse. Your own intelligence community has assessed that the Afghan government will likely collapse. That is not true. Is it, can you please clarify what they have told you about whether that will happen or not? That is not true. 
They, so, did not, they didn't, did not reach that conclusion. So I don't know which, there, there's only two, well, there's two main ways that this could be spun, and neither of these are good, okay? President Biden said the Afghan government will not collapse. It won't collapse. Well, it did It collapsed within hours. So they did collapse. So the question becomes, because when he was asked the question in this press conference three, and a, three, three and a half weeks ago about whether intelligence sources informed him that the government would collapse, he said, no, that is not the conclusion. They did not reach that conclusion. So either his analysts couldn't predict this and they told him it wouldn't collapse, at which point what what experts is he listening to? Who are the experts he's listening to? Or secondly, the experts told him this was going to happen, but he refused to listen. I don't know which of those two scenarios is worse for the president. I don't know which one's worse, but neither of them are good. And then the third quote in this overarching statement was the comparison to Saigon. And do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling... None whatsoever. Zero. What you had is you had entire brigades breaking through the gates of our embassy. Six, if I'm not mistaken. The Taliban is not the, South, the North Vietnamese army. They're not, they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It is not at all comparable. So the question now is, where do they go from here? That the jury is still out. But the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. So now compare what President Biden just said to what you saw today. If you've watched any news today, think about it. When he was asked about the comparison to Saigon, he said, and I quote, none whatsoever. There's no comparison. But you know, because you've seen that that iconic picture of the Huey helicopter where the people are lined up to be airlifted off of the roof of the embassy. And he said there was no comparison whatsoever. And yet think about the planes that you saw taking off from Kabul airport today. The helicopters, the Chinook helicopters that were going in and out, ferrying out people, it was almost exactly scene for scene, exactly the same as Saigon. So for him to say none whatsoever, did he just not see that this was going to happen? And why didn't today, why didn't he say, you know what, there was a comparison? Well, he couldn't say that because politically it would destroy him. It would destroy him. But he said there was none whatsoever. And he further said that, and I'm quoting, there is no circumstance where you would see people airlifted off of the American embassy. Well, that's a difference without distinction. They just drove them to the airport and then airlifted them from the airport. But what's the difference? What's the difference? And now we will spend the next years and decades seeing and reliving the video of Afghanis who were loyal to the United States gripping the sides of a C-17 Globemaster as it was taking off and people were falling to their deaths rather than dealing with the harsh reality of living under Taliban rule. So the president's speech today did not, he did not take any, any, uh, uh, he didn't take any responsibility 
for the policies of his government that are almost exactly scene for scene what we saw played out in Saigon in April of 1975. When we come back, I'm going to share with you some of the mainstream media's analysis of what we've been seeing in Afghanistan. I usually don't develop or devote an entire hour to one topic, but folks, we're seeing literally history unfold right before our eyes, something that we'll be learning and reading about and studying for decades. And it's happening right now, right before us. At your service. We'll be right back. I wonder what it's like living in Afghanistan today, the first day of Taliban rule. I wonder what that's like. I wonder what that's like for women, for Christians, for probably not a lot of Jews in Afghanistan anymore, but certainly a lot of women, a lot of women who've gotten used to over the last 20 years getting an education, going shopping, driving a car, wearing clothing other than a head-to-toe burqa. These are things that the women in, in Kabul and Afghanistan have probably gotten used to, but no more as of today, no longer. First day of Taliban rule. And what's interesting to me, and I hinted at this a little bit earlier, is how the networks, which are usually lockstep behind any Democrat president, are certainly not taking that position now. I mean, here's a couple of quick examples. I believe it was uh, it was ABC News, Martha Raddatz. She was on today, and she she specifically refuted President Biden's framing the debate about it's it's a it's a it's we only had two choices according to President Biden. Our only two choices were to withdraw from Afghanistan or to stay in Afghanistan and sacrifice more American lives. But that's a false choice. That's a false dichotomy of saying we only had two choices. And even Martha Raddatz at ABC News criticized the president because she pointed out in her news coverage this afternoon that, you know, we can debate. We can debate whether we should have pulled out now or later the advantages of pulling out or staying in, those are all debatable points. But what's not truly debatable is that there was no plan in place to deal with a collapsing government, collapsing around the Americans. And it's interesting because one of the other things the president said today in his speech was that we couldn't have gotten Americans out or the Afghanis out earlier because they didn't want to go. Many of them didn't want to go. Well, that's absurd. Did you see those pictures today? Did those look like people who were sticking around going, you know, I'm going to give these Taliban guys a chance. You know, some of them look pretty good to me. Maybe, you know, maybe they're just being taken out of context. I, I think I'll hang around here and cobble a little bit longer to see what this Taliban's all about. No, they were desperate. They were trying to get out of the country, trying to get out of town, even risking their own lives. But perhaps if there were some that weren't all that excited about leaving, maybe it was because they've been told for the past several months that with this, uh, it was unlikely that the Taliban was going to take over the country. Or you heard those clips that I played of President Biden just three weeks ago. 
that the government won't collapse and that the American intelligence community did not conclude that the government would collapse, did not conclude that it was inevitable. So if there was any reluctance on people in Afghanistan to leave the country, maybe it was based upon promises being made by the U.S. president that convinced them that they there was no urgency in leaving the country. And uh, and uh, Chief Washington correspondent Jonathan Carl at ABC also echoed this idea that it's a false comparison to say we only had two choices because we didn't. Even Savannah Guthrie at NBC was critical of the Biden administration. To me, folks, that's a welcome. That's a breath of fresh air in terms of fair and balanced news coverage. Brad Young here at your service on Camo X. We're going to take a confiscatorily high commercial break. We'll be right back. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles. And Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone. Whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified, diversified empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 